Digiday podcast. I'm Keely Barber, media editor at Digiday. And I'm Kamiko McCoy, senior marketing reporter here at Digiday. All right. So we are coming up on Super Bowl weekend, which um, for some is exciting. For others is just a time to eat some appetizers and watch commercials and enjoy the halftime show, which is the camp I fall in. Uh, Kamiko, are you rooting for any of the teams or are you just going for the vibes or are you just abstaining altogether? Okay. So to be completely honest with you, I am a bi person, which means I will be there for the snacks, the beer, the wings, the fries, those type of things. Um, love a good halftime show, which is Usher this year. I will absolutely be sat for that. Um, but the teams that are playing off, one of them is from my childhood, um, city, uh, Kansas city chiefs. So (laughs) our entire household will be gathered in front of the TV, uh, foaming at the mouth in hopes of a win. Amazing. Okay. Um, I know the Chiefs are playing because of all of the hoopla around Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey. Mm-hmm. I don't know the other team. So I guess Isn't I'm rooting the for the Chiefs. 49ers? Is it? Okay. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I guess I'll root for the Chiefs just by pure Swift alliance. But I also, I am not a football person. And I went to Penn State, which is a little bit sacrilege for me to say, not being super into football. But that's okay. That's all right. We, we won't crucify you for it. Um, but yeah, the 49ers and the Chiefs, uh, we appreciate your allegiance very much. <laughs> so anyway, your guest this week is also kind of like, I don't know, Katie Hanafi, Senior Director of Media Strategy and Investment at PepsiCo Beverages. I feel like Pepsi is like a, I don't know, regular sponsor of the Super Bowl. But anyway, I'm curious. Wait, yeah. I'm curious how you guys um, addressed like, everything that's going on in the marketing world for such a mega brand. Like I feel like there's so much to talk about with her. Like what'd you guys get into? Yeah. I actually um, had the opportunity to pick her brain um, at least twice um, within the last like year or so. And every time the conversation has been really, really fruitful just because she oversees media investment for, like you said, a massive, massive company um, with several brands up under her belt. So one of the things that we we talked about, um, which is kind of a was a continuation of conversations that we've been having for the last year, is this idea of like, there's so many places that you can place an ad now that you really have to do your due diligence in deciding what money to spend to show up where, what audience that you're chasing. Um, at the beginning of our conversation, she joked and said it's what keeps her up at night, kind of that fragmentation in the marketplace and this idea of like, you know, even within streaming itself, Amazon Prime just released its own ad-supported tier of streaming. So now you've got yet another streaming platform to consider when it comes to spending your ad dollars and showing up in streaming. So you've got streaming, you've got social, you've got retail media, influencers, the whole kit and caboodle. And um, that's kind of the the conversation that she's having to have with her team um, and with herself is how do we smartly spend these dollars to make sure that we're getting the, as marketers say, right audience, right message, right time. Um, the three biggest ones for her are, like I mentioned, influencers, retail media, and then the rise of CTV, um, that most streaming ads. Um, the next thing that kind of comes into play during our conversation is, you know, you have all this multitude of places that you can put these ads, but now you've also have to determine how you measure those things to go back to your CFO and other C-suite executives to be like, here's where we invested our dollars. Here's the return on that investment. Um, and because there's so much fragmentation, it's it's a tough call to try to like streamline that measurement process. 
Um, they do have some internal tools that we talked about that they're they're using to kind of like pull together like a continuative exhaustive list of like how their dollars are performing, how hard they're working. Um, but it's kind of a hodgepodge like how everybody else is. Obviously, we talked about AI. It's, you know, we can't escape it. But it's tackling some of those things. Um, they've got some partners that are helping to streamline some of those processes. But um, I think PepsiCo Beverages has... Uh, is suffering this the same the same uh fate that everybody else is how do we measure these things and where do we put our ad dollars so um that's what we got into yeah well i could see why that would keep her uh occupied even at night that seems like a huge task to overcome so i'll let you guys get into it uh thanks kamiko thank you Hi, Katie, and welcome to the Digiday Podcast. I am so excited to have you here. How have you been? Great. Thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited to be having the conversation with you today. It has been a little over a year since we last connected. I feel like so much has probably changed since then. How have things been going? Things have been going great, and uh, you're absolutely right. A year goes by in the blink of an eye, and so much has changed both uh, within PepsiCo, our consumer behaviors has changed, and uh, more importantly, the media landscape has changed. Absolutely, and that's exactly what we're here to talk about. So with no further ado, let's get right into it. Actually, I'm going to backtrack. I like to start these with a fun question, just kind of set the tone. Is that cool? Sure. Okay, perfect. So given that you are at PepsiCo Beverages... If you could invent any new PepsiCo drink, what would it be? What flavors would it be? And then also, what snack would you pair it with? Mm. So first, I'd have to say I already adore all of our drinks and, and snacks. So I'm going to go with ones that are actually real because my favorite all time is Diet Wild Cherry Pepsi. And I would pair that with uh, Funyuns, which I think is a very underrated snack. It's light, it's airy, and it's oniony, and I just I love it to death. So those are my two favorite uh, existing snacks. I think if I had to create my own beverage, something with a vanilla. We definitely have a vanilla cherry Pepsi or cola blend for sure, but I do really think vanilla, accenting vanilla somewhere in maybe... The mug, the root beer would be really cool and fun uh, for sure. And then from a, a chip perspective or a snack perspective, <clears throat> I love chips. So I love all of our innovation with barbecue. So maybe like a buffalo chip or something would be kind of cool because I do love wings and hot sauce and stuff like that. And maybe we already made it and I haven't even seen it yet, which is possible. <laughs> That sounds absolutely delicious. But also, yes, more love for Funyuns. Every time I go down the snack aisle, it's my it's my guilty pleasure. And I I actually you can't shame the shameless. I won't be shamed nope. about the onion breath that follows afterward. I love them. I couldn't agree more. I had too good of a time eating them. Thank you so much for entertaining that question. So let's get into what I'm sure um, the, the the listeners are here for, which is uh, the media investment oversight that you do at PepsiCo. Like I said, it has been a while since we talked, but um, I want to start by getting a little bit into your process. Um, how do you decide what makes a good media investment for Pepsi? Sure. I mean, I think uh, a couple of things go into what makes a good media investment uh, for Pepsi. Uh, first, um, it has to start with the consumer, right? So answering the question, is this investment going to connect with the consumer at the right time uh, is the first question. The second question is, is it going to um, 
create that feeling, that action, that brand connection that is order to, in order for a consumer to take an action and hopefully choose our brands over other brands when that moment of truth comes up. And then I would say the last, uh, but most important is, you know, what's the return on investment, right? Is it, is it driving the business and ultimately our goals and our, you know, business goals that we need to set up and achieve every year? And given how much we've seen over the last year um, that has changed within the media landscape, curious kind of how that process has changed for you, given the changes that we've seen in the landscape. Sure. I think, you know, the process has changed. And let me just take a step back and, and think about the the things that keep me up at night on what is changing. And really, there's probably like three things that are going you know, then uh, ultimately to impact our process. And and one is really the growth of influencers. I think that is not a new surprise to anyone that the creator economy has exploded. And now there's more options than ever. And there's many different ways in uh, to connect with influencers and use them uh, to create meaningful relationships with your brands. And I think paid media specifically is one of those avenues that is becoming more and more interesting to us. Uh, and we're going to start to test and learn and make sure that we can measure the success of influencers. So that's one, especially on social platforms, right? Because that's where uh, a good chunk of our investment is on social platforms because that's where consumers are spending a lot of their time. Um, the second one is really to evolve our holistic video strategy with the rise of CTV. Again, not a new trend, but one that is becoming more fragmented. Uh, consumer behavior is shifting there. And, you know, we're really keeping an eye on these fast channels um, because consumers, I, in, in my opinion, in some research, you know, they're tired of paying for all these subscription services. And we see the subscription services are now offering, you know, um, ad-supported platforms. So there is a paradigm that's shifting there in the CTV space. So we want to make sure that we're connecting with consumers there in that fragmented landscape. And then finally, I think with retail media, um, well, again, while not new, uh, that is going to impact our process in the way we think about things moving forward um, from uh, connecting the dots for the consumer journey um, to making sure that we're not over-frequencing and that we're making sure that we're providing the right message at the right time through the consumer journey, all the way from brand equity, entertainment, all the way down to potentially a promotional click-to-add-to-cart type message. I want to hone in on the fragmented CTV video landscape. That's something that we talked about this time last year. That was a, a big test and learn for you guys. So given that it's it's been a while since we first had that conversation um, with fragmentation across linear sports and streaming and social, and the list kind of goes on, how has that played out for, for you and your team? Yeah, I think it's continuing to be a challenge uh, for sure. And it's not easy to navigate. Uh, and I think, you know, we use a lot of data, we have a lot of internal tools. And as long as we're true to following the consumer and making sure that we are driving those connections with the consumer, I think that is the, the most important thing. So um, if consumers are now streaming live sports on a streaming platform versus broadcast, then we're going to want to make sure we're in both places. If they're consuming content on a social platform with clips and their favorite commentators and fans, we're going to want to make sure we're there too. So it's just harder for us to navigate, um, but it does give us a lot of opportunity to drive more meaningful connections in different platforms based on how the consumer is, ex is experiencing the snippets of content or the long-form content that they are opting in to watch. 
I think I'd definitely be curious to hear kind of your, your insight on this about given there's been so many changes, like I mentioned, you've got new players in the space. Netflix added the subscription tier or an ad supported tier, excuse me, as have others. You had the strikes happening in Hollywood and whatnot um, last year, which kind of teed up what's happening this year. So curious, kind of what were the biggest learnings um, from, you know, that that time period and kind of how are those things going to play out uh, into the remainder of this year? Yeah, I think um, those you know, they certainly started to accelerate the growth. And to your point about ad inventory and, and changing their models. And I think it's, it creates a great opportunity for our brands to connect with our consumers in in areas or environments that were, were a real challenge, right? We were looking at virtual product placement, or you have to look at other studio partnerships way, way upstream, um, which isn't always as easy to do. Uh, and it's much longer term out. Um, but in terms of these channels, I mean, they're here to stay, hands down. Consu- like the consumption is there, the viewership is there. I think what needs to catch up is the ad inventory load, the technology, the measurement. And we've been looking at different ways using different, if it's a DSP, to make sure that we can still drive scale across multiple partners. Uh, and then also ideally manage some of the frequency to make sure that we're still providing the best consumer experience and not showing them the same ad over and over for one brand. But we have a wealth of brands here uh, under the portfolio that maybe we can start to think about it from a portfolio mindset of mixing and matching across aggregating a number of the streaming platforms together, utilizing a DSP or a tech partner who can help us do that. Let's further go down this road about kind of what challenges we foresee in this space as the rest of the year plays out. I'm sure a big part of your job is kind of keeping an eye on those challenges as we go forward. So talk to me about the ones that you kind of see teeing up for the remainder of this year and how Pepsi plans to kind of address those things. Sure. Um, I think you mean specifically for like streaming and CTV. I think those challenges... Um, you know, there's there's a lack of inconsistency across all the partners. I think that's a huge challenge. And I think the biggest challenge is the ad load and the scale, right? So one of the opportunity areas that we see in the future is, again, how do we aggregate them and drive that scale, especially for a packaged good company, right? Like we need scale. We need to move a lot of product. Um, and that is very important. So we need to make sure that we can do that. Um, and then on the flip side, I think there's still, there's a challenge and there's an opportunity because they're digitally enabled. I think instead of thinking of it as traditional linear TV, we have an opportunity to really utilize technology and data to change how we've we've been thinking about and delivering that ad message. So I'm super excited about that. I think there's only upside from technology and data that we can start to deliver shoppable ads and different consumer experience and pause ads and and really let our brands provide value in that space, which we weren't able to do in the traditional space. But again, it's very fragmented and every partner is doing it a little bit different. So we need to find a way to to do that cost effectively at the end of the day. Yeah. ATT, Apple's tracking, you've got Google's cookie crumbling being being promised still and, and a slew of other things and privacy and whatnot. Um, and especially considering as a global brand, there's, there's a whole nother mountain of problems that are added on top of this. So kind of curious what your, I guess, what you see the resolve, if there is any, in in the space of data and using data to make sure that we're doing CTV correctly while also balancing privacy regulations? What does that look like for you guys? 
Yeah, so I think um, you hit the nail on the head. Like, one, we have to make sure that we are 100% privacy compliant. Again, keeping the consumer privacy, uh, the the data, all on the uppity up. So that is, you know, um, number one priority. Um, I think it, uh, interesting, you know, enough, we have had been on this data journey over the last couple of years in preparation of basically everything transitioning to over some sort of digital ad tech uh, platform. And uh, we have a great in-house solution. We call it CDNA, which is a combination of first party and third party data, which includes shopper behavior all the way to uh, behavioral insights, passion points, and we can scale that data up and down. Uh, and that data is really used to inform how the brands and creative is, you know, going to c- connect with the consumer and the, at the planning stage, all the way down to the digital activation stage. So um, being able to utilize this data to activate our media buys has been um, very, very efficient and effective, driving more media effectiveness for us to be able to deliver, um, you know, the creative message to the right consumer, because we know we know a little bit more about the consumer. Um, and I would say that is going to continue to be a journey for us. We don't always own the last click, right? A lot of our customers do. Um, so we have to be very mindful on how we're going to make sure that we can build those one-to-one relationships. But in the meantime, we're going to absolutely look for resources to pull in second and third party data from partners um, that we already have established. And, uh, you know, IRI is a great one. Experian is a great one that have those other supplemental things that we need in order to make the best decisions. For sure. The last thing that I wanted to ask about specifically uh, CTV is last time we chatted, one of the things that we kind of honed in on is the idea of fragmentation, which we flicked at that a couple of times in this conversation as well. Um, And it seems that we can't get away from it quite yet. Um, But while fragmentation is happening, simultaneously, you've got economic headwinds that every company is having to deal with, putting marketing budgets under constraint and whatnot. So I'm curious, kind of, how do you guys navigate or justify the cost within of these things, um, within also having to, to to navigate fragmentation and data loss and things like this? Yeah, I mean, I think it's... Um it's a great question, and I think that every other day someone will have a different answer on depending on the business situation. But I think it's a balancing act. Um, you have to be able to connect with the consumer and find the consumer. And if they're in these more premium environments, you definitely need to be there. But you have to balance that with what's the right investment what is the right frequency? What is the right reach? Are we hitting those sufficiency levels with other efficient channels that might balance out your total plan? So I think there is a way to absolutely do it. And it's going to always evolve. And it might be slightly different for some brands in each campaign based on the KPI. But overall, um, you know, driving overall efficiencies is always going to be a priority. Every advertiser is going to want to get more for their money. Like that's no hidden secret, right? Um, but it's the balancing act because we're going to want to be where the consumers are. And sometimes those areas are a little bit more money um, than other areas. Yeah, I almost envision like a scale, the old school scales. Um, And I almost envision advertisers like picking pennies across each one, trying their best, like balance it out multiple times throughout the year. Yeah. 
You're so true because at the end, when you look at ROI, it is a balancing act between efficiency and effectiveness. So if you can increase effectiveness and efficiency, you're going to have a higher return on your investment. Uh, if one of those goes too out of whack, uh, you're not going to be driving, you're going to impact either, you know, brand loyalty or brand love or some other brand health metric. Um, so it is certainly a balancing act. Absolutely. And kind of follow up to that question, does that change the way that you guys go about the media investment team and the way it works in relation to tapping into, I don't know, the 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 sales team, finance, marketing? Does it bring you any closer together with who you work with, how you work, with conversations, things like that? Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, PepsiCo is is a big company and there's a lot, a lot of uh, highly, highly talented, super smart people here. So by all means, when we're looking at um, any A&M investment across the board, we are bringing in all key stakeholders to make sure we have a different perspective from different points of view from the business, uh, B, making sure that everyone feels good about the investments that we are making, and C, that it, at the end of the day, the ultimate goal is to drive the business. So we want to make sure people feel good about those decisions when it comes to, uh, you know, the dollars that we invest in the marketplace. Absolutely. A seat at the table for everyone all the time. A seat at the table for everybody. Yes. (laughs) We'll be right back after this message from our sponsor. Looking at the, the, or zooming out rather, we've had the promise of Google's crumbling cookie for a long time, and it seems now that it may finally come to fruition. So I'm curious from a media investment perspective, kind of how have you guys been preparing for that and kind of what do we expect that to shape out like uh, the remainder of this this year? Yeah, I mean, I think this year, um, you know, I'm not too worried about this year. I think it's more future forwarding that we've been preparing. We have a whole internal team who's thinking about our data strategy and how do we build out those capabilities. And and really, I think it's going to be really trying to build our own first party data um, and being less reliant on uh, cookies or anything else that's out there to make sure that we can have that and be the owner of that relationship with the consumer. So, as we start to shift to that mindset, we are going to prepare for that for the future. And uh, like I said, we have a lot of, um, you know, dedicated internally people, internal people thinking about, you know, how we set up PepsiCo um, from the, to, for success in the future. One thing that's important to note here is like, even within my own reporting, as more companies kind of tee up their, uh, for their own first part of the data, you see retail media cropping up and becoming a really, really big thing. Um, but curious, is there anything that comes out of this for you guys, or is that all internal use for our own projects and our own investments? Yeah, I think the retail media networks, you know, um, we are certainly trying, um, I mean, first and foremost, they're customers. So there is a, a interesting dynamic there for for specifically for PepsiCo. Um, and I do think they are sitting on a wealth of data because they understand all of our consumers' purchasing behaviors. And um, as they partner with publishers, they're starting to bring in other media environments that potentially those publishers didn't have access to purchase data. So I think there's an interesting partnership there as they start to move ahead and think about their future. And it's important for us to think about where our brands play in those spaces because we do play in retail, clearly. That's where we're sold. And then we obviously play in the publishing space with entertainment and sports and music and gaming and all sorts of stuff. So 
trying to to change that um, that mindset of integrating those plannings and the consumer journey that I mentioned, I think is going to be the future for us. And now it's certainly not easy. Um, and I think that'll evolve over time. But I think we have to really start to think about the consumer journey across retail and entertainment or publishers, if you will, versus it's just retail and it's just uh, entertainment or publishers. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I'm going to zoom out one more time. I know we talked about CTV and we talked, we touched on influencers, but I'd love for you to kind of walk me through what do you guys' media investments looks like right now beyond CTV and, and influencers? What are the channels that we're, we're meeting our, our customers at? Yeah. Um, so I think, you know, we are a video heavy um, consumer entertainment type, making those brand connections with our consumers. Um, a lot of the reason for that is, um, you know, because we want to build that brand love, that brand loyalty, and, and, and ultimately long-term equity for the brand. So um, across the board, um, you know, holistically, we are across a lot of digital platforms where consumers are consuming uh, their content. And if that's across uh, you know, linear TV to social platforms to passion point platforms. Those are certainly areas that we are going to be on for sure. Um, and I think live sports, live entertainment still plays and commands, um, you know, viewership. Um, those cultural moments is, is part of something that our brands always will want to be part of, right? We'd love to drive cultural conversation, be part of the cultural conversation, um, specifically brand Pepsi. We know that they are part of culture, um, and they want to make sure that they can be part of those cultural moments. So, um, so I think our media investment will reflect a lot of, uh, where consumers are consuming their content in their video for sure, um, across, you know, whatever platform it is. Have there been any major changes, like we said, over the last year? I think there, especially when you talk about sports, there's been a couple of um, streaming platforms that have gotten into the live sports space, which I would imagine would create some new opportunities for advertisers like yourselves. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, one of them that happens to be a customer too, that drives, you know, some of our e-com business, uh, we absolutely have been able to partner with them and look a full funnel across the board because that is that nice end-to-end solution there. Um, but more specifically, you know, the reason why we like um, live sports so much is because it is an important occasion for our brands to be in. We know that uh, chips and sips are very important to consumers when they're going to watch their favorite uh, team, game, um, event. And uh, that is an occasion that we want to make sure that they're choosing our brands for. So we're going to continue to advertise in those occasions and drive that recency and relevancy for our brands and products. Yeah. And I know we'll be coming up here in February soon. So we'll be on the lookout for some Super Bowl stuff. <laughs> sure. Going back to the idea of measurement, um, with all of the changes in the space and whatnot, how does that affect how you guys measure your media investments? Yeah, I think um, it does create more challenges from the traditional mixed modeling. Uh, we do have our own internal tool called ROI Engine, which is um, right now the one source of truth that we have that really measures holistically all of our marketing activity, specifically even media. Um, and it, it does get down at the granular level um, for specific platforms and, you know, um, campaigns. So we can then see what is returning better, uh, on investment versus something else. 
And um, and that is right now the best source we have. Now, we're certainly going to supplement um, that measurement with third-party studies, if it's brand lift studies, um, going back to retail media. They all have uh, solutions as well that we've been partnering with them to do a test and learn strategy to understand, you know, what is driving incremental sales, what is driving brand association. So we're going to just continue the test and learn strategy, but I do think – ROI engine right now is going to, you know, that's going to give us the guidance we need um, and the most robust data that we have because it does pull in multiple touch points along with, you know, distribution and other marketing elements that are, you know, driving the business. Yeah, I'd imagine things like that for internal teams become increasingly more important, especially as you talk about privacy measures, Google's cookie crumbling and whatnot. Curious for you guys, um, is ROI engine, is that a new innovation that kind of became more important with the measurement challenges? Or is this something that we're leaning more into because of the measurement challenges? Yeah, it is not, it's not a new solution. Uh, We built it a number of years ago. However, it does evolve every year as we get better organized with our data uh, and pulling more of that stuff into our, um, into internally at PepsiCo versus outsourcing it to another company. Um, so the, the, the measurement is really, in my opinion, is only good as the data you have, right? So we have been on, like I said, a data journey to make sure that we can organize our data, we can use our data, and that we can continue to action upon the data. And ROI Engine, every year gets better and better at that. Um, and as more things go digitally, it does allow, technology does allow us to transfer data faster, organize data faster, so then we can get better um better insights and make better decisions or course correct if we want quicker than traditionally when I started in this business it took like I don't know a year to find out what you did last year and then you had already moved on to something else so um so it is getting uh, a lot better and we're going to always look to improve it as technology and data gets better Speaking of improvements in technology and data, I'm going to ask the dreaded question. Are there any experimentations happening with you guys in AI? It's the, the big topic um, and how, how media and marketing is done. Yeah, uh, AI is that, boy, is that a hot topic, right? And that I should have said that's probably one of the, the trends, too, is how AI is is going to be uh, infused in everything we do. And I would say 100% yes. So we are an organization of testing and learning um, and learning from what fails and learning from what succeeds, right? Uh, and then once we get a good baseline on that, if possible, there are things that we're going to want to scale because we are a global company. Um, and that's the goal is really to try to test and learn as much as you can and then drive that scale. In terms of AI and specifically for media, while um, there are certainly use cases in creative and other places within the organization, but for media specifically, we've been testing AI with a number of uh, partners, um, OMD specifically, who's our agency of record, who's a phenomenal partner, um, on using AI to really optimize our, our digital buys in real time, right? So taking some of the manual um, hands-on keyboards off of it, setting the KPI, and then letting the machine learning really optimize, find that right consumer at the right time, deliver the message. 
Um, and we've seen some early success with it in, you know, increasing viewability, increasing um, sales lift, absolutely. And, uh, you know, and even there's some cost efficiencies there. So I think that is something that we're going to want to start to expand as as the capability grows, you know, within the walled gardens and outside the walled gardens. Yeah. I want to say it's it's been over a year at this point since generative AI became a huge talking point in the industry. So I'm curious kind of for you guys, what were the biggest learnings? What worked for PepsiCo and kind of what, what are we going to leave in 2023? You know, I think generative AI for media specifically, I think is going to probably fundamentally change the way we buy. Um, I think that the old way of just sending over an insertion order uh, is long gone. And we're really going to, you know, technology and then generative AI is really going to, we're going to really want the machines to optimize and let everything um, use it based on it's smarter than what we probably think we can do faster. Now, um, that's not to say I don't think that replaces anything because there is still the human aspect yeah. and the insight and the knowledge and pulling out the insights to make sure that we can make mm-hmm. the right decisions need to do that. But hopefully it'll free up more more time for people to think about strategy and longer-term vision so we can be uh, smarter and more prepared to future-proof the business versus trying to get, you know, bogged down in the day-to-day and, and overwhelmed with the data. Yeah, absolutely. If if only I could find a way to implement, not find a way, there's several that exist. I just need to like free myself up to do it of using AI to get my inbox down to a reasonable number. Yeah. I mean, wouldn't that be great? Think of all the other awesome things that you can do to think about, you know, your business or driving something else. So that's that's the goal is to, you know, free up time to get people to, Think about, uh, you know, bigger, better things. Keeping on the track of experimentations, would love to know kind of, are there other experimentations happening? There's other there's other innovations within the metaverse. I think we talked about the Fediverse before on other podcast episodes. Um, there's um, streaming, new streaming platforms that have launched influencer marketing innovations. So what do other experimentations in media look like for you guys? Yeah, so I think um, experiments and innovations have um always been part of the DNA of, of the beverage side of the business. And uh, we actually have uh, a, a group called the PepsiCo Labs. Um, and their sole job is to go out and find, um, ex, you know, different startup companies, different tech solutions, all based on a specific business case uh, or business need. And those could be all the way from virtual product placement, which I mentioned at, top, at the top of this, um, that, you know, we want to make sure that our brands and products show up in influencer content. Now, that might be virtually and it might be after the content is shot, but there are solutions to do that. So that's one area that I think we are absolutely going to want to continue. And there's a couple of companies out there that we've explored and we've done some pilots with and we're going to continue to explore that space. So I think that's one. Um, you know, the other, the other one potentially, like we talked about AI, uh, they helped us find a couple of AI solutions that we would want to pilot in that space. Um, and it's an interesting process because, you know, they go out and they look for everything on behalf of PepsiCo. They bring them, they bring them back to us. And then we have an opportunity to try to integrate them into the planning process. And, um, you know, some of them are certainly scalable and, and some of them are not. 
Um, the one thing that we didn't really touch upon that I think innovation in some of these companies and tech solutions and data plays a big part of is the personal personalization at scale, mm-hmm. right? So mm-hmm. I think that is the overarching, you know, innovation. And there's all these different solutions underneath that we're going to continue to pilot. The idea of virtual product placement is so interesting. You mentioned that you guys are doing it or experimenting with it for um, influencers, but curious if that extends to TV shows, movies, and other terms of of, of virtual media, visual media. Yeah, it absolutely does. So the technology exists and that it's amazing that you can go back in post-production after it's been on air and you can go in and try to find the right environment, the right scene, the right placement for a product and brand. And it could be even like a billboard on the street for something. Um, I think where you run into some challenges uh, is when it comes into the rights and who owns the content, uh, making sure all of that is ticked and tied um, for obvious reasons. Um, But that is something that we've been, you know, working with some of the bigger uh, publishers on to try to figure out solutions on who owns that content and and does it make sense for us to be able to go back and do this, especially in low ad environments or no ad environments. Yeah, that's... I'm, I think that'll be an interesting thing to see play out. Like, you know, does there get to be like a product placement in like Breakfast at Tiffany's, a movie back from God knows how long ago? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you absolutely, yeah, it's a good question. I think that, you know, the it can be done. The question is who owns that right to that content? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. Um, the last thing that I wanted to ask, and we'll end this on a fun note, is obviously so much has changed last year, but... Curious, what trends are you keeping an eye on for the remainder of this year? The remainder of this year. So I'm going to circle back to my three trends in the beginning. And it is those three trends of influencers, the creator economy. I think those are going to be for the next couple of weeks and only going to be accelerating into the future. Um, the retail media networks, um, the trend of them partnering with publishers, to bring content and their data as a one holistic solution to advertisers is going to certainly um, be very valuable, I think, across the board for many advertisers when you have that rich data and that rich content. Um, and then the fast channel, I think, I think, you know, consumers don't want to pay for five or six subscriptions. And I do think as the economy gets a little tighter and, and uh, spending gets a little tighter, consumers are going to really start to think about, do they want to pay for that consumer experience? And um, is that a trade-off of streaming versus a live experience versus a vacation? Um, so I do think some of those free advertising uh, platforms are still going to really start to see a, an increase in consumption. Well, we will be waiting and seeing. I cannot thank you enough for spending some time chatting with me and our listeners today, Katie. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I love the dialogue. I love the conversation. And it's been an absolute pleasure. So thank you so much for having me. That brings us to the end of this episode of the Digiday Podcast. Thank you to everyone for listening. And please don't forget to share this episode with someone who you think would enjoy it. You can even rate us and leave a comment on Apple Podcasts.